Is it? Are the, um, the, the green and red mic? Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and Shabbat Shalom. I'm back. We're back. You're back. It's time to get back into the word of Yahuwah. What book are we in? It's Revelation. It's the beginning and the introduction today. So before we commence, turn in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 1. And if you like this video, give us some thumbs up. We love the thumbs up. You guys in the chat. Keep it holy and give us some thumbs up too. And remember, subscribe to the channel. That really does help, especially when YouTube is flagging so many of our videos and we're not popping up in the recommended section so much nowadays. And remember too, you can always get those notification bell by clicking on the notification bell. How about that? And finally, thank you to all of you that do donate to Torah to the Tribes here, keeping us on the air, broadcasting to the nations in the hopes to gather the 12 tribes scattered abroad at the feasts and the Sabbaths of Yahuwah. So I am blessed and excited to be here. Woo! Introduction to the book of Revelation. I mean... Am I ready? Are you ready? Oh, I mean, I, I've got so many questions. I mean, I had so many questions before I got started. I don't have so many questions as I've been delving into it. But, you know, to name a few, when I first started, I was like, well, what are we doing? We've got seven assemblies. Who on earth are the, sem the seven assemblies? What are the seven assemblies? I know their name by name, but is this some kind of symbolic prophecy? Or are we talking about the entire history of the saints over the past couple of thousand years I mean what is it exactly and then we come into some of these other examples with the assemblies there's so many different ideas that are floated around is it just limited to historical assemblies that were around in the times and seasons right after Yahusha where ancient Rome 
would then be that dreadful beast that we see come out in Revelation 13. Maybe it's the Asian priesthood promoting the worship of Rome and that dreadful false prophet. So there's many things. And then, of course, we can just skip over the first three chapters because we're going to be raptured up into heaven. No, we're not. But back in the day, oftentimes in Calvary Chapel, we really didn't worry about it too much because, you know, there was the rapture theology. You're not going to be here because Yochanan John was going up into heaven. So therefore, so would all of us. But we know that isn't true. So there's so many things that we look at. What about the two witnesses? Are they to be taken literally? I mean, are they two people? Or is it allegorical? Is it symbol, a symbolism of maybe two different systems? What are we talking about? How do we get sealed? When do we get sealed? Will we know that we're sealed? Will we know on those that are not sealed? What about that demon horde that comes out of the river Euphrates? Isn't that near Afghanistan? Isn't that near Iraq? What? You mean we weren't in Afghanistan and Iraq looking for weapons of mass destruction? There may be a more sinister reason why we've been there for 20 years. You mean something deep, deep under the river Euphrates that could be affecting our world and current events? No, don't be silly. What about the beast? I mean, is the beast literal? Is it just a person? Is it allegorical? Is it global? What about the second beast? Is it blockchain? Is it crypto? Is it Q? Are we in the age of a... Oh, my goodness, my head. I mean, this is my world. Now I'm going to make it your world. So, and this is just the introduction to the introduction. What about the seals? There's a white horse. Well, which white horse? There's two white horses. Yes, the second white horse. What? Yes, there's two white horses. I mean, what's going on here? I hope it's the millennium. When? Now? No, yesterday, tomorrow. No, when? What? Oh, we're all going to die. No, no, we're not, really. But there's so much to think about. But what happens when we do die? Is there conditional universal salvation? Or are the dead destined for what they chose in this life? We're going to cover all of this in the book of Revelation. The Hebraic book of Revelation. And the trolls are like, it's not Hebraic. It was written in Greek, you Judaizers. Hang on a minute. Steady, Eddie. This is to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And it's about regathering the 12 tribes. Read Revelation 12, please. There's so many Hebraic euphemisms. There's so much Hebraic and Tanakh, Old Testament saturated language in here from Ezekiel to Hosea to Jeremiah and Daniel. Did I say Daniel? Daniel. Yes, Daniel. How can you say that this is Greek? Did the writer actually be, was he able to communicate, communicate to the pagans through using some of their pagan symbology so that they would comprehend like Paul did when he was in the nations? Yes. But it is the Hebraic book of Revelation. So let's start off with the author. It's very simple. No, it's not. None of this is simple. Not how they would teach it at Calvary Chapel. This is simple. Pay attention and then we're raptured. 
don't worry about reading the rest, but if you do, I do recommend a book. It's called Left Behind. No, I don't, but that's what they recommended us. I think I got 27 pages into it and thought, this is nonsense. I'll just read the book of Revelation instead. That's a succinct idea. That's where we'll begin. Who's the author? Is it John the Elder? Or is it John Mark, the young man who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on the later missionary journey? It's possible. Or, or were these original revelations given to John the Baptist and later his followers? Is it possible that these revelations were given to him before the public ministry of Yahushua? Was it a composite work that was passed down by John the Baptist's followers that epitomized the Baptist school of thought, which represented their apocalyptic, primitive form of faith, which was inherited and passed down through his followers? You know, those fiery, boangernic believers, those sons of thunders. It does have those type of tendencies to it. Well, for me, I looked at all of those, and I weighed them, and I measured them. But I couldn't get past John, the beloved disciple of Yahushua, the apostle of the master Yahushua himself, the writer of the fourth gospel. You see, John lived to a ripe old age, history tells us, in the city of Ephesus. And why do I believe that the author is John, the beloved disciple of Yahushua, the apostle the ma of the master himself, the writer of the fourth gospel? Because there is so much external evidence that points to it. There is so much external evidence. I mean, I like the idea when I saw all that Boangernic apocalyptic writing in it that it was really from the John the Baptist school. I like that idea. But the weight of external evidence like Irenaeus, Clement of Alexander, and Justin Martyr that pointed to John the Beloved, even as late, not just the first and second century, a lot of external evidence, but even as late as 1945, when the Apocryphon of John was discovered in Egypt, which cites Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 and claims to be written by John, the brother of James, those who are the sons of Zebedee. And anyway, when you really root out the opposition to John, the beloved of Yahushua being the writer, you find that the origin of those that opposed him being the writer was the man Marcion. You see, Marcion was the heretic in the early history of the assemblies that edited and altered, I think, 11 books that Paul wrote. You see, and he's the one that brought forth the doubt that the author was, in fact, John the Beloved. So, weighing it all out, even though I liked 
the John the Baptist idea. The external evidence from the first and second century, history balanced with the evidence unearthed in 1945 and the origins of those who disputed him being the author, being Marcion, I conclude that the writer of the book of Revelation is the beloved disciple of Yahushua, the Apostle John, the writer of the fourth gospel. Now, I'll get into the different language structure between the fourth gospel and the Revelation because it is very different. The book of Revelation is very choppy, very choppy in its Greek. And the writing of the fourth gospel is very harmonious. It's a different form of Greek. Why? I'm going to get into all of that. I pray, and pray for me out there, you guys online, that this would not be, I pray, I've been praying this from inception, that this would not be just another, oh, another revelation teaching. This has to be from Yahweh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for the edification of us all. Because this is not another revelation teaching. This is for us, the saints, in these days, so we can be prepared for the days ahead. And we're going to examine all kinds of things, and I don't have the answers for everything, but I'm not afraid to go where it is politically incorrect, where it is morally incorrect, where it is anywhere that is dangerous to go. I'm not afraid to go, and I'm not afraid to question, and I know that you guys aren't out there. So we will delve into all kinds of ideas and present, I'll present many different ideas because I'm not threatened by different opinions. None of us are because we are mature in our faith and confident of what Yahuwah has done in our lives, developed us. Not to be argumentative and combative, but I'm going to be a little bit because I love to. But, you know, at times... You have to be if you want to have fun in life. So this is a book of prophecy. It is a book of prophecy written by a prophet. Revelation 21 verse 14, it is written, Then saith he unto me, See, thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren the prophets. This book was written by a prophet, of course, John the Beloved. And we can see in this writing of Revelation 21, 14, he is what? A brother of the prophets, of them which keep the sayings of this book and worship Yahuwah. It's about our future. Now, throughout all of this, I must say, I do believe in multi-layered prophecy. I think when you're reading Daniel, when you're reading Revelation, you can see multi-layer prophecy. Yes, Daniel, Revelation can, can arc all the way back to Antiochus Epiphanes. Yes, it can arc all the way back to the time of, um, of the Roman emperors, of Titus and Domitian, but it also speaks forward into the saints' day to day and our future. And can you look at the churches and look at it 
back over the past 2,000 years of the persecution and the, and the kinds of hypocrisy and double-mindedness and apostate churches and the fallings away that has happened throughout the past 2,000 years? Yes, but we cannot limit it in that layered approach. We must see it's multifaceted for us to be able to weigh it in the balance truly. Look what Hosea speaks about our future, about the days in which we live. Because we are supposed to be, and the purpose and intent of this teaching is for the blessing. Those of us that read the book get the blessing because we will be prepared and preparing ourselves in faith and practice for such a day that is fast approaching upon this world. Hosea 12, chapter 1, it is written, Yahweh has a controversy with Judah. He's got a problem with Judah and he's going to punish Jacob. According to his ways, according to his doings, will he pay him back mightily. Verse 9, Yahweh thy Elohim, ever since the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tabernacles. I've been seeing a lot of people dwelling in tabernacles and they're homeless people. I'm not talking about that. We will be homeless, but our tabernacles will not be filthy, scum-ridden, needle-infested, disgusting things that I'm seeing popping up all over this nation because of the socialism and the collapse that the government is trying to bring in through migration and demographic shifting. And I'll touch on that a little bit, maybe even today, because it's very important when we talk about these beast systems. But Hosea tells us, that the prophecy talks about Yahweh thy Elohim ever since the land of Egypt, I will again, it's going to happen in the future, make you dwell in temporary shelters as in the days of the solemn feast. I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. And this book of Revelation is a serious ministry from a serious prophet. It's apocalyptic to the full extreme. Yahweh has a problem with apostate Judaism and apostate Christianity. I've been out of the church for over 15 years. And occasionally we'll put the radio on and we'll listen to some music. And it'll be Christian music, a Christian radio station even, possibly. And we have to shut it down. The things that they're talking about, the merch that they're trying to sell. What was the merch they were selling the other day that popped up in a magazine? Something about Jesus and germs. What was it? It was a hand soap dispenser. And what did it say? Yeah, it, it, it had a hand soap dispenser on it. And this was like Christian merch that they were trying to sell. It had a hand soap dispenser and it says, Beware, Jesus and germs are everywhere. Or be prayerful, Jesus and germs are everywhere. And I'm like, 
And they think that's cool. I'm like, that is almost blasphemous. Considering Yahuwah is all about to may unclean germs outside the camp and to whore clean holiness, white garment saints with no defiling, pure garments ready for the king. No comprehension. So that is what has infested these apostate churches that we'll see many of them named out in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. So Yahuwah has an problem with apostate Judaism and Christianity. Hosea 12, 1, 9, and 10 explains that succinctly, but it's also a future message delivered by a future prophet. We're going to have a second exodus, if you will, living in temporary shelters, and Yahweh has a controversy with the apostate system that's out there. He's even spoken through the prophets Jeremiah, and here, John the Revelator, that just as when we were in Egypt, There's going to come a time again when we will have to dwell in tents. I hope my voice lasts through this teaching because I am out of shape. It takes actual vocal strength to do this. And I haven't done this for over two months. I've got lazy, fat and happy, sitting at home. I haven't. I've actually been on a juice cleanse for 20 days, today number 21. So, you know, I'm actually feeling phenomenal, uh, I must say. But the voice is definitely not feeling so good. But let's go onward, please, Matthew. Let's talk about the similarities between this apocalypse, this book of Revelation, and the fourth gospel, if, as I am persisting, that this was written by the writer of the fourth gospel. Like we use the word logos, of course, the word logos when referring to Yahusha, the only two books to designate Yahusha as such, the book of Revelation and the fourth gospel designate Yahusha as a Logos. There's your similarity. But we have to admit that there are many similarities, but there is also a very different Greek style of writing. And those of you that like Greek, you'll find it strikingly different. Because the gospel, it's Greek, is smooth, it's fluent. But the revelation, it is choppy as heck. It is rough. It is harsh. So people have a problem with that. But I think we can explain the difference very easily through the Bible. Not my opinion, but through the Bible and still come up with the same answer that the beloved disciple of Yahushua John wrote both the fourth gospel and the revelation. Because in Romans chapter 16 verse 22, we note this. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the master. What? I thought the apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. Well, Romans 16.22 tells us that who? So what's going on here? Tertius. But we know from Romans 1 that Paul prescribed the words to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Yahushua Messiah, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of Elohim. What's going on here then? From 16, Romans chapter 16, verse 22, 
It was Tertius, Paul's secretary, who composed it. That's the difference. This was a very common practice in the ancient world, and it accounts for the difference in the style between the fourth gospel and the book of Revelation. Personally, from that alone and the distinct Greek difference, I would conclude that the disciple John penned the fourth gospel. Um, excuse me. Let me retrace my thoughts that I would conclude that a disciple of John penned the fourth gospel, whereas John penned the revelation in his own rough Hebraic Greek. That would be my conclusion, that a disciple, a secretary, if you will, of John penned the fourth gospel. It's smooth Greek, classical Greek. But John, in his rough Hebraic because he was a Hebrew, penned the revelation. And that accounts for the difference in the Greek. I, I personally think that is a very, very solid case. So I'm sticking with it. You don't have to. You could go with the school of John the Baptist and the Bowen, the Bowen-Jernic kind of apocalyptic thrust. That's a good one, I've got to admit. But anyway, external evidence weighed me this way. So, or swayed me this way. Anyway, let's look at the date. Some argue, of course, for an early date. 70 of the Common Era is about the earliest they argue for. But this, to me, very, very unlikely. I would go with a later date of the last decade of the first century. I think that's a lot more solid. I think that's a lot more sound. Domitian then would have been emperor in Rome. He was emperor of Rome from 81 to 96 that's when I think the setting of the revelation is. I do not believe it is Titus around 70. I don't. Now, the preterists, and we'll get into those types of um, schools of thought a little later, they would say, this is all historical. This all happened back at the time of Titus. I would totally disagree, and I'll give you a ton of scriptural evidence to show you why I believe that, you can take it or leave it, but you will at least know. And that's what we do, because I am here, Yahuwah willing, and I love being able to do this, is to point people to his word. That's all I do. Point and shoot. That's it. Straight shooting. So the setting, why this is called the Hebraic book of Revelation It's to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, James chapter 1. Of course, 10 tribes have already been lost in the nations, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 31. And history tells us that there were, at the time of this writing, 10, how many? 10 great persecutions of the remnant communities. They were being persecuted by Satan, and Satan loves, That wicked devil loves to use imperial forces to hunt down and kill those who would spread the gospel, the good news, and stand up and fight for the faith. Number one, 
he would have used Nero in 64 of the Common Era. Number two, he would have used Domitian around the writing of this revelation in 95 of the Common Era. Number three, S.A. Tan would have used Trajan in 112. Number four, that little wicked devil, Marcus Aurelius in 177. He, of course, used that little bastard. And I'm allowed to say that because he really was. Septimus was the fifth. Septimus Severus in the late second century. My kids are wondering if I'm going to get in trouble for using that word. I'll explain you at Bible time tonight, kids. There are lots of, you know what? The nations are full of bastards today. I think Iceland is the biggest bastardized nation out there. And we can talk about that. Anyway, that's going to get me in trouble. I wanted to go to Iceland on holiday. Now they're not going to let me. Good night. This is what happens with YouTube. Right? Where are we at? The sixth little devil the devil used to hunt down the saints, of course, was Maximus. Maximus in 235 of the Common Era. The seventh was Deasus in 250 of the Common Era. And the eighth was Valerian. Valerian, about 257. So you can see that the saints have been hounded and persecuted. Those 10 tribes scattered abroad, all 12 scattered abroad, but the 10 tribes scattered a lot earlier, persecuted by these 10 imperial forces. And the ninth imperial force was, of course, Aurelian in 303 of the Common Era. And the tenth was the Dioclecton in 303 of the Common Era. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right because I've done this in chicken scratch. So anyway, I'm going to digress because these ten imperial forces were used by Satan to persecute the saints. But we need to be aware. I have come to a great discovery that I am a bona fide environmentalist. And I am going to explain to you why. But I have discovered that. And I fought it for years. I fought it, but I finally acknowledged that I am an environmentalist. I truly, truly am. Because Satan is using, just like he did these 10 imperial forces, he is using the social justice warriors, the policies of these commie bastards, and we can say that because, again, they don't believe in the holy matrimony of marriage, thus producing bastards since the 60s and been killing the unborn since before that, of course, but it became law, of course, these social justice warriors and socialism have now grown to be our leaders, birthed from Woodstock all the way to the streets surrounding the White House in Washington, D.C. And this is it. Their jihadi foot soldiers implemented through demographic shifting, and border breakdowns. This is about to backfire on the whole lot of us. 
That's the problem. It's an implosion, and it's going to happen in less than 20 years. And I want to explain that before I go further, because this is a theme that is going to permeate through the prophecies of the book of Revelation, and I want to give you that oversight, because this is the introduction. Europe is about to be transformed into Arabia. It's huge. It's going to be the geriatrics versus the jihadis. Europe's population is getting old. They're on all of the social benefits. They're straining the system. And the jihadi foot soldiers have moved in. They're on welfare and straining the system. And the middle is such a low birth rate that it is unsustainable. And they cannot support both ends. You're going to see the biggest global or worldwide shift, because global will offend some of you out there. You're going to see the biggest worldwide shift out there since Victorian England. And I love Victorian England, England and that part of history because it really, I should have been a Victorian. I mean, it really like, yeah, that, that was my part of, I'm a, born a bit late. I would have been good in that time, you know. That would have been right, right about my kind of morals and standards and strong belief system. I like that. Very, very, very conservative, strong, nationalistic. Let's go conquer and take over the world. Yes. Anyway, I digress. What am I talking about? I'm talking about demographics. I'm talking about how Satan has used in the past 10 imperial nations and Daniel tells us this, this last beast is going to be like no other nation. It's going to be totally different. It's not going to be restricted. It is going to crumble and fracture and be able to crumble and fracture everything. Because Europe's population is halving every generation. I go back there and I'm like, what has happened since I left? Every generation. So what does that mean? That means two grown-ups have one baby. So there is half as many children as parents, and a quarter as many grandchildren as grandparents, and an eighth as many great-grandchildren as great-grandparents. It's an irreversible death spiral. That's the reality that Europe is in. They're in an irreversible death spiral. In the meantime, you've got 25 million Mohammedans that have moved into Europe. 30% of French cities are Mohammedans. It's a, democratic, a demographic shift like no other. And you know what? As, Israel, as, as Europe, excuse me, is becoming geriatric, the Mohammedan foot soldiers are young, they are fit, they are 
angry and they are fighting for a war. Whereas 70% of the French cities are demographically either geriatric or fatted lambs for the slaughter with no stomach to fight. Now, of course, when I was growing up in a Victorian boarding school, we used to have a good old joke when the Frenchies would enroll in the school, and that was like, hey, did you know I got a great rifle? I got a great deal on a rifle. It's only ever been dropped once, and it was never fired. I saw in the do not shoot. Of course, that was a good English joke on the French always surrendering and never firing a shot. But, you know, there you go. There's some Victorian history to that, especially in the late 19th century. So, anyway, I started this rant talking about how I have realized that I am an environmentalist. Because is global warming really a threat? Because the environmental movement has sickened itself, sickened itself, really, over the black rhino and over the panda bear. But aren't people, aren't people a part of that environment? In fact, I would say people are a very huge part of the environment. And they are demographically doomed. And I have, therefore... I realize that I'm an environmentalist because I care about people. And I believe we have a serious problem that is going to come unraveled in these next few years. The French, the British, the Belgians, the Canadians, the Italians, the Spaniards, their population is in freefall. I think you have to have 2.1% babies to every one woman for a population to be just on level ground. All of those countries and 17 nations in the EU are fluttering around 1.3 to 1.7, which is unsustainable, a death spiral. The population of Rotterdam is 40% Mohammedan. 40% Mohammedan. You can't even read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 publicly in my home country without threat of arrest. You do realize that. You cannot even read publicly in London Revelation chapter 2 and 3 publicly without threat of persecution and prosecution from the police. Because there is a demographic shift that is affecting our world. And we're only starting to feel a rumbling over here in the United States. And our president is aware of it because he spent a lot of time in Europe over the past 40 years as a businessman, and he's not silly. And I'm not saying vote for Trump. I'm not talking about particularly a party. I'm talking about a philosophy. 
The biblical philosophy of tribal identity in every nation has been given its boundaries or a global meltdown philosophy of socialism using jihadi foot soldiers to get it done. That is the war that Revelation is telling us to be prepared for. In Revelation 9, you'll find the word locusts. The Hebrew word is Arabay, Arabay for Arabs. It sure looks that way to me. But I'll give you different scenarios. But I'm going to go off the demographics and facts. And I'll finish with this before I delve in further on this subject because I love, like I say, Victorian England. Why do I love that period of history? Why, you may ask, does a quarter of the world speak English and belong to the British Commonwealth? Why? Why does a quarter of the world belong to the British Commonwealth? Because Victorian England, it was Victorian England was the first nation to conquer infant mortality. It shifted the demographics. The biggest shift in the history of the world. All of a sudden, in Victorian England, you had 50% of the population was 15 years old and younger. So you've got a surplus of foot soldiers. Thankfully, they were Christian foot soldiers. They were educated in centuries of law, liberties, and freedoms. And they sent them on ships all across the world to conquer, administer other territories. It changed the world. Get ready for the biggest demographic shift since Victorian England, and the numbers are even greater than Victorian England. And the ships are faster, the borders are easier to access, and the infrastructure of the inmans are it's already there to spread the new laws of Sharia worldwide. You don't think I'm joking. It's so serious because that's what history tells us. That's why a quarter of the world belongs to the British Commonwealth. A demographic transference happened in Victorian times. And you need to be ready for the next one. The next worldwide demographic transformation Instead of a demographic transformation through a culture with a long-established system of laws, property rights, and personal freedoms, you and I, as we go through the book of Revelation, and especially if you live in Europe, you're already witnessing a worldwide demographic, demographic excuse me, transformation through a culture that has conquered infant mortality through polygamy and breeding. And therefore, whilst everyone else is getting abortions and doing wickedness, they are breeding like rabbits for the jihad. 
with no tradition of individual liberty, but Sharia for all. It will set back the leftists' liberties that they have gained in the past 50 years to the bloody dark ages, where homosexuals are thrown off buildings and women are walking around with tents on their heads all over their bodies. You think I'm joking? They're already thinking about this in many European nations and throughout the UK. So the what, the where, and the when is very important. And we're about to see the shift. Locust armies. Locust armies. So yes, I'm an environmentalist because people are a key part of the environment and demographically, you're going to see us change. And Greta Thunberg, Sweden, is going to be the first in line for mass extinction at the hands of the Mohammedans. But I digressed. But it will come back around and permeate through the book of Revelation. That is all in Revelation 9. We're going to continue on with our introduction with Revelation, the intro, because, like I said, Satan is no different. As he was then, he is now. He will use imperial forces. They just happen to happen to be the jihadis. Widespread persecution. Then it was called modus vivende. Modus vivende. It means compromise and settlement. Terms, accommodations, deals, and trade-offs. And finally, adoption. Are you seeing that in European nations with the Mohammedans? Compromise. Settlement. Let's make some treaties and terms. Or we'll accommodate you. Deals. Trade-offs. Or we'll no longer serve that kind of meat. We'll, we'll serve halal in our hospitals. We'll, we'll make some compromises. And finally, adoption. Then, in 325 of the common era, for us, within the next 20 years, within the next 20 years, It's a certainty. The, demograph the demographics and the history shows us so. This isn't like some prophetic idea. It's just based upon common sense and historical fact, which is why they're plugging about the rising oceans so that you don't look at the rising immigration. It's all environmentalism. Look over here. You should be looking over there. Yes, I'm an environmentalist. We'll build the wall. They adopted it all in 325 of the Common Era. When will we adopt it all? At the Council of Nicaea. Of course, they were grievous wolves then, and they are grievous wolves today. False prophets, false teachers, people that try to hijack the faith that was once delivered to the saints. 
Of course, they're going to try and deliver it to the Romans back then and the Roman universal Catholic Church. And today, it's all about universal, isn't it? Compromise. Water it down. Lukewarm. Don't read your Bibles. Let's give you a sermon about nothing about the Bible but a few thematic elements. That's not what we do. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, it is written, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And 2 Peter 2, 1, As there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers. So the book of Revelation is going to open up a huge amount for us to see this world so much clearer. We'll see it through the clarity of the scriptures, but we will use historical fact to layer it so that we can do so with confidence, balance, and reason. Because this isn't going to be some like crazy idea on the revelation. It will be founded and grounded, and I pray spirit-anointed. There's four views on the book of Revelation. Let's look at the different views because they are valid views. You don't have to agree, but they are still out there, and historically, these views have been held. Number one, the preterist view. The preterist view, it's all back there in past, in yonder land. Rome was, was the beast of Revelation 13, and the Asian priesthood promoted the worship of Rome was the false prophet. The second view is the historicist view. The historicist view, and that is that this is really a symbol of prophecy of the entire history of the church down to the return of Messiah and the end of the age. And that's very traditional in Protestant circles. The third view is the idealist view. And that is where we're talking about this is really a symbolic betrayal of the spiritual cosmic conflict between the kingdom of Yahuwah and the powers of satanic evil. And then the fourth view is the futurist view. It's a prophecy of the future. Events depicted in symbolic terms which leads up to the accompanying of the end of the world. So those are your four views. I'll unpack those a little bit more. And you can put it another way. The preterist view is the past. It view, that view believes that most, if not all, of the prophecy has already been fulfilled, usually in relation to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 of the Common Era. Okay? Now, that's the, histori- um, the preterist view. The historicist view present, it sees much of the current age that we actually live in as equal to the tribulation period. Thus, prophecy has been and will be fulfilled during this current age. And there are people today that say, oh, we're at the seventh trump. Of course, this would be the historicist, the present view. Okay, does that make sense? There's a lot of people today online that do hold to that. Now, the idealist view is somewhat timeless, if you will. This view does not believe that the Bible indicates the timing of events or what we can determine 
their timing in advance. Therefore, what we find that the idealists think that prophetic passages, they really mainly teach the great ideas or great truths about Yahuwah that should be regarded and applied throughout the ages of the assemblies. Does that make sense? That's the idealist. It's, it's timeless. The seven churches, the seven assemblies, they're really speaking over a 2,000-year period. It's timeless. To, to anyone who lived in that time, you could take application. And there is some value to that for sure and for certain. Now, the futurist view believes that virtually all prophetic events will take place in the future tribulation, the second coming, or millennium. And I know you're dying to know, well, what view do I hold? I hold to more of a futurist view. But I do see the merit with the other views. But I think to limit it to the other views is somewhat spiritless. Because how you can read this and, and just limit it to past or timeless or that today you're really in a tribulation as we're sitting down with a nice three-course dinner in the West at least. No, I think that there are times that you can see that. But ultimately, I hold a futurist view, but I do see the weight of the other views, but I'm not just going to go there and ignore prophecy which speaks to me and you today. Whereas preterism, it actually comes from the word in the Latin, preterus, signifying that which has passed away. So it's a belief that the offense, events excuse me, associated with Yahushua's second coming were accomplished with the events culminating with Titus and the destruction of the temple in 70 of the common era, that's the real founding and grounding for the preterists. It's Titus, the sacking of Jerusalem. The futurist, in contrast, uses a consistently applied grammatical, historical, literal hermeneutic of Bible prophecy. That would be me. Whereas the preterist, or there's even such a thing as partial preterists, on the other hand, they use a very inconsistently applied grammatical, historical, literal hermeneutic. What they do is they adhere to a literal hermeneutic some of the time, and then they go on to a spiritualizing hermeneutic when some passages don't fit literally. Well, that's not equal weights and measures. I don't like that. Uh, let's talk about some of these preterist proof texts because there are a bunch of whack jobs down in Florida and some of them most probably are trolling right now because they love to know what's happening with Torah to the tribes because I used to be part of that group. Um, and they're all like, oh, it's all preterism. It all happened in, in um, 70 of the common era. It's all back in the past. Why? Because they're all like obsessed with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Zadokites and the Qumran. And they're totally obsessed with the Book of Enoch and Jubilees and all of that stuff that we're, we've addressed. Which doesn't mean you have to chuck it all out. No. 
but you don't be spiritless and put your future and limit it back to the past. That's just not wise in the age that we live for intellectual logic and reason to prevail over spirit. Heavens forbid. We are the sons and daughters of the prophets. We're the seed of Abraham. The spirit is in us and the word of Yahweh is alive and powerful and true. And when we pray and meditate and read upon his word, he speaks to us about our present, our past and our future. That's what I'm holding to. I'm sticking with it and I'll fight you for it. So anyway, let's look at some of these nut job treacherous proof text. Matthew chapter 16 verse 27 is of course one of them. For the Son of Man shall come in glory in the glory of his Father with his heavenly Malachim angels and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now the tech guys are nervous because I'm sitting down but I don't think we have any clipping. Because we have got transformational technology today. I've got these lovely little earbuds in. I can hear myself. I can't hear you sneezing, picking your nose. There's been a lot of farting going on this week. There really has on the news. Am I the only one? It's just like I'm like, I'm right? Is it not? I mean, there's been a lot of farting going on. I'm just glad there's, I can't hear if there is in here, but I'm sure there isn't. We've got politicians doing it. We've got basketball stars doing it. I mean, the world has just eaten too much rice and beans, too many tacos. You know, back in the days, the politicians, to try and get ahead, get ahead, they would do baby kissing. Do you know what they do now to try and, to try and accommodate and appease the Latinos? It's they sit down and eat a taco. And that's what they do to try and get the votes. It's outrageous. You see them all. All these Dems that are up on stage, they're always eating tacos. They're always in a taqueria. Or they're speaking Spanish. And you're like, hang on, your audience is English. Right? Or they've got like, they've changed their name to some kind of like, you know, Beto. It's kind of Hispanic or whatever, right? Give me a break. They're coming for your guns. That's for sure and for certain, isn't it? Outrageous behavior. Anyway, preterist proof text. I'm telling you, I'm rusty. I've been away for a couple of months. You've got to bear with me, okay? Still give me some thumbs up. Be a good sport. It's just a hard job, this, you know? It's going to take me a couple of weeks to get back in the saddle. Get a little bit seasoned up here. All right. Preterist proof texts. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That is a preterist proof text, Matthew 16, 27 and 28. Another one is Matthew 24, verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power. And great glory. And verily I say unto you, this generation, they're going to see it all. Everything. Precious proof text. They shall not pass away till all, all means all, these things are fulfilled. Of course, this is perfect precious proof text, right? This is a collection of texts I'll now give you that the preterists love to roll out. 
in Revelation, which of course leads them to believe that the fulfillment of the book of Revelation all happened with Titus in 70 of the common era. I'll give you 10 because I like 10. Number one, the events must shortly take place. The Greek word here is tachos, not tacos, but tachos. And that, of course, is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The events must shortly, tachos, take place. Number two, the time is near. Revelation 1, 3, Greek word there is egos. So we've got eggs and tacos. That's their proof text so far. Number three, I am coming quickly to you. Revelation 2.16. This is a preterist proof text. The Greek word there, of course, tacos, tachos. Revelation 3.11. I am coming quickly. Revelation 11 verse 14 is the fifth proof text. The third woe is coming quickly. Greek word there, tachos. The sixth preterist proof text, the things must shortly take place. Revelation 22, verse 6. So you can see how they're building their case. All these things must happen quickly, shortly. Tacos, tacos, and eggs. No. Behold, I come quickly, tacos. Revelation 22, verse 7. Number 8. For the time is near. There's your eggs. Eggos. I never did study Greek, so this is good as it's going to get. All right? Because obviously, who can't even speak Greek? No, I can't speak Greek. I don't want to speak Greek. Have you seen what's happened to Greece? Oh, no, we already did that bit. Let's not go back there. But really, I mean, really, you want to go to Greece? Go to Greece and learn some Greek. It's the same Greek that they used back in the time of Yahushua. Greek is Greek is Greek. Greeking me out. Number nine, behold, I come quickly, Tachos, Revelation 22, verse 12. And finally, number 10, yes, I am coming quickly, Tachos, Revelation 22, verse 20. Preterist proof text. But I believe that's a very elementary way to look at it. Eggs and tacos is not going to build my faith. It might build a wall, but it is not going to build my faith. Let's be clear. The timing of a passage is determined. I sound like Chuck Swindoll when I do that. Man, that guy rants, doesn't he? I used to listen to him. But you ever listen to him? Oh, back in the day. <coughs> Don't want to do that. So like, why are you so upset? I mean, no one's fighting you, man. Everyone believes everything you're saying. Hook, align, and sinker. Calm down. It's cool. You're going to be raptured. Get your eggs and bacon in your taco. You're going to go to Hobby Lobby after church. You're going to swing by Chick-fil-A. It's all cool. you got nothing. I mean, I'm in it. I mean, I've got to fight for my life. People are hammering me left, right. Be nice on the chat, please. Give us some thumbs up on the chat. If you're on the chat, give us some thumbs up, okay? And if you hate watching, you're halfway through. So you're clearly enthralled. So you deserve a a thumbs up just for sticking with it. I like to just call it out. And, you know, it is what it is. So we continue further. We have got to determine 
all the context of the passage, not just taking the eggs and tacos. I know that these are preterous proof texts, but the timing of the passage is determined by taking into account all factors that are given within the passage, not just the excerpts that I just gave you there. These terms are more properly interpreted as qualitative indicators, not chronological indicators. They're qualitative, describing how Yahushua will come, not the, the chronology of, oh, he's going to be here in five minutes, real quickly, like. No, when he comes, it's going to be upon you. That's a qualitative statement. It's not a chronological statement. So by me saying it's a qualitative statement, I've just trampled on the ten preterist tacos and eggs, which was my intent. So I'm trying to put to bed <laughs> preterism before we go into chapter one. I want to put it to bed. Lay it down once and for all before we launch into an amazing world of apocalyptic reality. Because preterism fails because it's impossible to establish from extra biblical historical sources a situation where a worldwide persecution of the assemblies and that is what the revelation is all about. And you cannot establish that from history. And I know the preterists will say, well, worldwide, really back in the days, was just, you know, the Mediterranean region. No. 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 But they will. There was the Gauls, there were the Britons. I mean, come on. There was an expansionary Solomon and his ships. They'd already founded America. Captain Pugwash from the Spaniards, he didn't found America, right? Now, those of you who are watching in England will know all about Captain Pugwash. I'm showing my cartoon habits now of when I was a child. And most of you here have no idea what I'm talking about. If you're in England, give us some thumbs up. I'm liking this thumbs up business. Don't give us the middle finger now. Come on. Steady on. Steady on. I've had that this week. But well, we won't get into that. I could. No, I won't. No, I won't. But I'm... Nope, the missus is definitely giving me a head shake. She is giving me a thumbs down. All right, okay. Revelation goes far beyond any known historical situation in the first century. And I think to relegate it to all history is very short-sighted and like I said it's spiritless and it kind of boggles my mind that any spirit-filled born-again believer would go all the way and go oh it all happened back in 70 I mean surely the spirit testifies to you of the days we're living and the fluidity of the writing the visions and the prophetic prophecy and the history of prophets and how they speak to the prophetic reality of our day. Yes, the Rome of John's day did embody anti-Yahusha tendencies, for sure and for certain. The picture of Antichrist in Revelation 13 is far larger, though, I believe, than historical Rome. In order for preterists to maintain their position, 
They insist that the book of Revelation was written very early, before 70 of the common era, and they use, like I said, an inconsistent hermeneutic when interpreting prophetic passages. Now, according to the preterist view of the end times, chapters 6 through 18 of Revelation are highly symbolic, not describing any literal events. That's an inconsistent hermeneutic for you right there, you see. Since what they see is that the destruction of Jerusalem, well, it didn't really involve the wholesale destruction of sea life, did it? Revelation 16.3. Or agonizing darkness, verse 10. These judgments are interpreted by the preterist as conveniently allegorical. But according to the partial preterists, chapter 19 is to be understood literally Yahushua will return, physically return. But chapter 20 then is again interpreted allegorically by preterists, while chapter 21 and 22 are then flipped and understated literally, or at least in part, in their view, that there will truly be a new heaven and a new earth. And if you're scratching your head at this point of a preterism and partial preterism, you should be. Because I was like, well, well, that doesn't make sense. It's like it's historical, but this is allegorical. You're all over the bloody place trying to fit this in. And then I just thought, well, I'll come up with 30 real succinct questions that we could answer. No, 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 two. And I'll give you those, and then I'll shut up. Let's look at the problems with the historicist view, the preterist view, and the partial preterist view. Because this is the intro, and I'm trying to establish the futurist view for you today. Number one, did ten powerful nations subrogate their respective national sovereignties and form a ten-nation world empire? Preterists? No. That didn't happen, Daniel 7.24. Did a Western political leader rise to power to lead these ten powerful nations? Daniel 7.24 and Revelation 17.12. That didn't happen. Two down. Did men and women throughout the earth make an idol or an image of a world political leader to worship? Revelation 13.11 through 19. That didn't happen. Did men and women throughout the earth receive the mark of the beast on their right hand or forehead? Well, that didn't happen. Were men and women throughout the earth forbidden to buy or sell goods unless they had the mark of the beast? on their right hand and their forehead. Ah, that didn't happen. Was a fourth of the earth's population killed? Revelation 6. No, that didn't happen either. Did every mountain and island move out of its place? Well, they did have some problems in Italy, that's for sure. But no, that didn't happen either. Mount Vesuvius, right? Did men and women throughout the earth hide in caves? Well, some of them got burnt up and smoked with ash, but no. That didn't happen either, Revelation 6, 12 through 17, no. Nope. Was one-third of the earth's population killed? Well, no, that didn't happen either, Revelation 9, 15. There's a lot not happening with this preterist, partial preterist and historicist view. Ah, oh, but this is all allegory now, isn't it? You're being a bit literal, aren't you? I thought you literally said it all happened back then. You see, these are the things that get me the thumbs was it the third of the earth burnt up? Revelation 8, 7. No, that didn't happen. Happening in California, though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's called direct energy weapons. 
Now I'm really not going to show up in the recommended section. Was a third of the earth's green grass burnt up? Well, that didn't happen. How about a third of the trees? No. How about a third of the seas become blood? Well, we did have that event horizon thing, didn't we, a few years ago. People were convinced that was it. See, I've been through a lot the past 15 years in the Messianic movement, I've got to tell you. But it has prepared me to be balanced with the book of Revelation because I have been through it all. And now I'm going to put you through it all. But I'm not going to put you through what I was put through because I have learned my lesson. Were a third of the world's ships destroyed? Revelation 8, verse 8. No. Did a third of the earth's rivers and lakes become bitter, causing many men to die from these waters? No. Do we have a water problem? We have got a great water problem worldwide right now. Was a third of the earth prevented from seeing the sun, moon, stars? Revelation 8.12. That didn't happen. What about the two witnesses? Did they have power to shut up the sky and to smite the earth? I tell you what, the disciples had a go at trying that in Luke chapter 9 and Yahushua shut them down. I mean, who wouldn't want to be doing that? I'd like to do that right now to some governors across this nation with every plague and every prophecy that I could muster up. Did they do that in Jerusalem, though, for three and a half years? No, that didn't happen. So there's a lot that doesn't fit the preterist historicist and partial preterist view that can be unearthed in the introduction here at Torah to the tribes. Did the Antichrist double-cross and destroy apostate Christendom, the harlot? Revelation 17, 15. No, the apostate harlot is alive and well, coming to you through, who's that guy we talk about? Chad Veach and all of those people down in California with their branded trainers and apostatizing the faith for money and filthy lucre. And liquor, right? There's the Baptist person in, uh, in um, Arizona. I forget his name. Calvinist, I believe. They call him, what do they call him? Whiskey Bob or something, I don't know. But he's like always talking about it and does like church services in a brewery. And, you know, yeah, it's pretty wild. I think they do beer and the beer and bread instead of like the, the, you know, the wine and the wafer. I mean, they really do, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the modern, you know, urban thing for communion. You know, a, a lager and, you know, a nice wedge of bread. I mean, outrageous. And people are like, oh, yeah, this is just a modern interpretation. Oh, my goodness. But this is what's happening in our world. Apostate. Apostate. And people are loving it. Loving it. Flocking to it. In the meantime, in the midst of it all, we keep going and get hammered and hated. Hated. You're like, what? What is going on? I guess we just have to sit down, shut up, and not read the Bible. Heavens forbid. Heavens forbid. Did the earth's fresh water supply turn to blood? Revelation 16.4. That didn't happen. Did mankind find itself scorched with fierce heat, causing men and women throughout the earth to blaspheme God? 
Did that happen? I mean, Al Gore definitely has blasphemed God and certainly thinks that we're going to get this scorched earth. But that didn't happen. Did men and women throughout the Antichrist empire gnaw their tongues and blaspheme God because of intense pain? No? I bet you Prince Andrew's wishing that he had gnawed his tongue off, right? What a noodle. I mean, how? I mean, what a car wreck! What? Whoever was his publicist needs to be fired. Whose brainchild was that? I mean, really? Do you have? You have to have a whole staff. I mean, I don't. I, you don't need any staff to tell you, don't do it, don't do it, do not do an interview about Jeffrey Epstein. Don't do it. Oh, no, I think it really needs to be done. Well, there you go. Unhoist the flag and throw him to the heathen. Like kind after like kind. Did a worldwide earthquake take place? Revelation 16, 8. No. Did all the cities of the nations fall? Revelation 16, 18. No. Did the Antichrist empire break into three parts and fall into the earth? I'd like it to. But no, it never did. Revelation 16.19 and Revelation 18.21. And did Yahushua return bodily to the earth, to the Mount of Olives? Revelation 19.11. No. So you can see why I don't believe in the historicist view, the preterist view, or the partial preterist view. And I think anybody that does is just headlong into intellectual logic, puffed up intellect and logic. Because it's all about what you've studied in history. All about your brain. All about what you know. And I know so much more than you. And that's the root of it. It's called pride that cometh before the fall. And you'll stumble headlong into the apocalypse and have no tools to navigate what is soon coming upon us all. For then there will be. It's going to be in your and my future. A great tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor shall be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, because of you guys, and your faithfulness to Yahuwah, in spite of the cost, in spite of the hardships, in spite of the family dynamics that oppose us all when we stand for the faith, when we stand for truth, there is going to be a parting of the ways. And it becomes more and more apparent. And the liberals are ill-equipped with dialogue and Bible understanding, so their only go-to is to call you names. And to use Nazi outside the context of the Second World War, in my opinion, you've already lost the argument and shown your ignorance. It doesn't even mean anything anymore because the liberals use that to try and shut down anybody that disagrees with them. So it's lost its value. 
outside the context of World War II. Yahushua teaches that at some point in human history, a time of catastrophic distress is going to come upon the earth. And unless this distress is cut short, no person would survive. Think about that. In 70 of the common era, was the preterist's tribulation period so severe on earth that no life would survive? No. The entire Western hemisphere knew no danger whatsoever from Titus's destruction of Israel and Jerusalem in 70 of the Common Era. The majority of the Western hemisphere didn't even know who Titus was. So the preterous position utterly contradicts Yahushua's warning of extinction in Matthew 24, verse 22. Whereas I look out today, you look out today, and we live in a phenomenal world. A phenomenal world that is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. All the military hardware of the United States, of Russia, of Great Britain, and China. Hamadian migration. Globalism, which has fractured and broken nations apart like no other ever before. Is it possible that the whole world is in danger of perishing? That's a definitive yes. A definitive yes. I mean, three. Just think of I mean, this is... Three United States Trident submarines, for example, could kill one-fourth of the Earth's population. That's the death toll of all the seal judgments. You do realize. Three United States Trident submarines. Uh, I think they're on the way to Iran right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, maybe. They could do that in 30 minutes. 30 minutes! See, the death tolls portrayed in Revelation 6-9, they are readily attainable. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. If Hillary had gotten in, we'd already have let loose those Trident submarines. That is why the dark, black as hell, New World Order order is scrambling to impeach. Scrambling. Because this was not planned. This came out of left field. This is yin and yang. And my wife and my kids now are like, what did he say? This guy's getting crazy. Papa, what are you saying? This is what is up is down. This is the inverted triangle. It's the checkerboard. What was black, that death cult, skull, bones, skull, bones, and death, Bohemian Grove, the dark new world order has now flipped. And now you've got the Illuminati fully enlightened. You've gone from bad into bad 
from wickedness and evil. It's evil and bad rather than evil and good. It's still part of the same coin, but it's a war. And now instead of all of the hate, all of the warmongering, it's all going to be about humanity and love and appeasement and accommodation and all of those things that the early believers that compromised did to acquiesce to the Council of Nicaea. It's going to be the same thing. Breaking down borders. Universal church. Catholico. It's the same thing. It's all Luciferic. But instead of the dark Luciferic, it's the light Luciferic. That's what we're seeing now. And unless these days get cut short, none would survive. We're seeing this happen. It flipped right on our watch. It flipped. And it caught the world by storm. Not only here in America, in Britain. They never thought that Brexit would pass. And a democratic vote by the people has been squashed for for three years. Squashed. Because they didn't want it. And the democratic vote of the people in America is trying to be overturned today. They had four or five days of that rubbish this week. And they planned it from the first day, before inauguration. This is no secret. Because now the white Luciferics are about to bring harmony to the world And the gullible apostate Christians will suck it up and drink it down and accept it full hoodwinked. Hoodwinked. But we who are wise and discerning, who have the testimony of Yahusha and keep his commandments, we shall flee to the wilderness and find a place of refuge. The great great harlot in closing in Revelation 17 because we live in a time today of ominous threat through worldwide nuclear annihilation, demographic transformational shift and the jihadi foot soldiers. And all that we've got left is geriatrics. Geriatrics, on one end of the spectrum, draining all of those government funds. And on the other end of the spectrum, jihadi foot soldiers, draining all of those government funds. And you think the working class can sustain that? They don't want to work anymore. 20 years, within 20 years. The question must be asked, how will we navigate these times? We'll navigate these times through Yahuwah, the Ruach Kakodesh, the Holy Spirit. We will navigate these times through pressing into his word, 
by being good husbands and wives, sticking with our family, staying strong and purity, sticking with our faith family and staying strong and pure, gathering together, making connections with believers worldwide through our platforms here online, through the feasts, the Sabbaths and the festivals to find your community of saints so that we can support one another. And when it is time for us to sound the clarion call, to sound the shofar and to give the warning, then we will give it. And if we get taken off this platform, we'll pay to go on another platform. But all of you guys that love these teachings on YouTube, download them, please. Stick them on a hard drive because we may have to reach out to you and ask for some of them so we can put them on a paid-for site because I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to stay online on YouTube the way things are going. And I am not going to censor my voice. I'm not going to because it doesn't work. They'll find something else. They'll find something else. So again, this is pretty amazing for me. And I have gone way long, and I apologize for that. And I've got more introduction next week, but I think I will not ramble as much, and I will be a little bit more on form. But I had a good, fun warm-up with you all, and I pray and thank you all for watching today, and pray, pray Yahweh will bless you. Again, if you've lasted this long, you need some thumbs up, but give us some thumbs up. Remember to subscribe to the channel. And again, get the notifications bell, and then I'll ping you in the pocket if we get an upload during the week or something. And again, thank you, our supporters, those of you that do donate online. We are a donation-based ministry, so thank you very much. The comments are open below, so please Comment about what you think about the teaching. I'd like to hear from you. And we'll look forward to seeing you live next Shabbat. And that is it. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. Oh, we didn't get any questions. We got questions. We're going to quit. Do we have any questions? No questions. Why is that? Was the chat not working or is everyone over there? Oh. Well, that makes it easy, doesn't it? Splendid. Baruch Hashem Yahweh.